Freedom Hut. ACB is now on the Supreme Court. Chuck Schumer vows revenge. Riots in Philadelphia last night over a police-involved shooting and post-election violence preparations are already underway. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends. One week. One week until the election. And here we are in this last stretch. Wanting it to just come to a conclusion and hopefully the right one for America. And that's where we see ourselves. But we have this. Brief respite, perhaps uh, 12, maybe 24 hours where we get to enjoy the good guys and gals getting a victory. Remember how about three weeks ago I told you that it looked like it would be possible the president would have a great trifecta, a, a triple crown, if you will, of victories, beating covid, getting ACB confirmed and winning reelection all within a month. It would be pretty amazing If that ends up happening, we are two out of three right now getting pretty close. Amy Coney Barrett, 52 votes in the Senate, and now she is the uh, ninth Supreme Court justice. She's eminently qualified. All the things you've already heard, right? She's brilliant. She's ethical. Everyone respects her. She'll be fair minded. It's exactly the kind of person you want on the Supreme Court. But because she's not a left wing activist, pretending that she'll be uh, a a fair minded and impartial textualist. Right. Because of all that, the left is throwing an absolute fit. Which we knew they would. But the things they're saying don't even make sense, are untrue, are just kind of silly. And I know that we're going to have to dive back into the election state by state, this battle ahead uh, for the next six days. But I want to take a little time that I just just to make sure we all understand what exactly the Democrat claims are around ACB, why they're complaining so much about this, because it tells you a lot about the modern Democrat Party, tells you a lot about where they are, what they really think and how they're willing to conduct themselves, which I think the American people should really think long and hard about before casting any ballots in this uh, election. This is a party, the Democrats, that has been complaining about undermining institutions And norm busting for four years, this has been a constant refrain that Trump is actually a a threat to our democracy after calling him a racist and a fascist. That might be their their third favorite epithet for Donald Trump. There's no truth to any of this, but they like to say it. It makes them feel better about Hillary's loss. It makes them feel like somehow they're always in the right, no matter how absurd their claims about this president and his supporters, no matter how much their prognostications about an, a, a, a Trump that couldn't handle the economy, that would lead to wars, all these terrible things. None of the predicted calamities that Democrats were so certain of, none of, none of them happened during the Trump presidency. The only challenge that did hit Trump and hit him hard was something that hit the whole world that nobody could have predicted and that we are still trying to work through now. 
But all of the things they weren't saying, oh, Trump's not going to be ready for a pandemic. They were saying that Trump wouldn't be able to handle the economy. A lie. The economy was booming. A better economy than Obama ever had in eight years. Oh, I guess that's just circumstances, right? Just just lucky. We also we want to talk about luck. I think we all understand that if there wasn't the covid pandemic right now, uh, Trump would be looking looking to a, a massive landslide. I mean, I think he really would win in a, a the biggest landslide since uh, since Ronald Reagan. And, you know, unfortunately, he got dealt a tough hand here with covid. The whole world has and, and the United States along with it. But they hate this president. And one of the major claims is that he's unwilling to respect the norms of our government, even though how do they usually challenge Trump? They take him to court. What's Trump's response to being taken to court, having government lawyers make their case and then respecting the judgment of the judicial branch? That's what ends up happening. The process exactly as it is supposed to be done. And that's what we see here with the ACB elevation to the Supreme Court. It was the process exactly as it is supposed to be done. When they use words like illegitimate, they are changing the very definition. They're not giving you a real criticism of the process. They're just saying, I don't like. And they're trying to find fancier words because they don't want to sound like a bunch of spoiled brats who can't handle when they don't get their way. Well, the problem is that's what the Democrats have turned into as a party. They never have any stiff upper lip, never any sense of, okay, we lost this one fair and square. Let's make a better argument to the American people. It's always Russia. Trump cheated. This is illegitimate. This is not the way it's supposed. No, it is the way it's supposed to go. And that connection with reality that liberals are at least temporarily being forced to make is a good thing for them. Perhaps it will mature their party a little bit, although I think the much more likely outcome is that they're just going to dive even deeper into their sanctimonious insanity. That's what you think. Uh, that, that's what I think is going to happen. I think you probably believe it, too. Chuck Schumer taking the lead on this for the Senate. Senate Minority Leader Schumer, a man who will say anything, anytime, as long as it benefits Chuck Schumer. Here he is on the ACB nomination. But, but let me also say, and Democrats, some of them made, made fools of themselves last night. I mean, Maisie Hirono got up there and said, hell no, and just made some kind of a scene during her vote. You know, Maisie Hirono, I, I, I love Hawaii as a state, and I really like the, the people of Hawaii, and I always enjoy it when I go there. But I'm angry at Hawaii still over Maisie Hirono. She is the dumbest person in the United States Congress, and it's obvious to everybody. Why is this person a United States senator? Does, does anybody have a, a good answer for that? Anyway, Chuck Schumer's not dumb. He's just not ethical. Here he is. Play one. Here at this late hour, at the end of this sordid chapter in the history of the Senate, the history of the Supreme Court, my deepest and greatest sadness is for the American people. Generations yet unborn will suffer the consequences of this nomination. Generations yet unborn, Chuck Schumer says. Yes, generations yet unborn will suffer the consequences, perhaps, of being born. That's right. There will be consequences that occur during their lives that they will be allowed to have, at least in some places, in some states, if 
Amy Coney Barrett does overturn the horrific, just from a legislative as well as moral position, Roe v. Wade decision. That's really what this is all about. They, they tried to make it about Obamacare, but the problem for the Democrats is that if they talked more about abortion and where their party is on this, it becomes hard for them to pretend they're moderates. The official Democrat Party position on the issue of abortion is anytime at any at, at any time for any reason funded by you against your wishes and special protections because this is a constitutional right. Special legal protections in, in addition to you can have one. They, they should make sure that, you know, you, you don't have any blocking of the pathway to a clinic. All these other things. This comes from Planned Parenthood v. Casey. That's their position. And it might not change, actually. And the, and the, and the Supreme Court may not overturn uh, Roe v. Wade, even with Amy Coney Barrett there. You see, our side, speaking of norms and process, those who are constitutionalists, Except that you're not getting a guaranteed outcome here. Uh, look at John Roberts, although I don't think he's really a constitutionalist. I think he's I think he's a stealth lib. Uh, look at Gorsuch, even on the recent uh, gender and sexual identity case that came up. Right? L- look at what happens on the right. They're not guaranteeing you anything. They're just guaranteeing a certain approach to the law, whereas Democrats are guaranteeing an outcome. As judges, that's what they want. They want this to be decided before it even goes before the court. They want certain things to be ideologically guaranteed. And they, and they worry they no longer have that guarantee. But for Schumer to talk of generations yet unborn suffering consequences, I have to think that he did that on purpose to signal to his base that he knows this is really about the abortion issue more than anything else with the Supreme Court. It legally indefensible. Roe v. Wade is is completely absurd. I mean, it put aside the moral atrocity for a second. This is not something that a, that a good faith lawyer could argue and think is really the law. But we've all been trained. We've all been forced to comply with this, to live in a country where this is now the regime. And it may change. And ACB may bring it about. What a consequential thing. President Trump now has three Supreme Court justices in his first term. Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett. And there were people that were mocking those on the right in 2016. Remember? Oh, but Gorsuch was some kind of a a, a slight. This is what anti-Trump, quote, conservatives who now are openly Democrats rooting for Joe Biden, of course. But this is what the early, you know, never Trumpers were saying. Oh, yeah. You think it was worth it just to get that one judge? Well, actually, it was three Supreme Court justices. And also a largely remade federal judiciary across the board, uh, circuit courts, appeals courts, uh, and the profound impact that will have on this country for decades to come. So if you only voted for Trump because of judges, if that was the only reason uh, you've, you know, you've invested in a stock that paid big time dividends. But of course, there are all these other things that we've seen the president do that make him worthy of reelection on top of it. And we'll certainly talk about more of those today. But that's right. Schumer is is vowing revenge here. Democrats are scorned. It's like they've been broken up with and they're saying, we're going to make you wish you'd never done this before. We're all worried. Gosh, what are they going to do now? Play clip two. 
As the globe gets warmer, as workers continue to fall behind, as unlimited dark money floods our politics, as reactionary state legislatures curtail a woman's right to choose, gerrymander districts and limit the rights of minorities to vote, my deepest, greatest, and most abiding sadness tonight is for the American people and what this nomination will mean for their lives, their freedoms, their fundamental rights. Monday, October 26th, 2020, it will go down as one of the darkest days in the 231-year history of the United States Senate. Oh my gosh. Cry more, Schumer. Cry more, Libs. You are reaping what you sowed here. This is on Harry Reid and the Democrats in the Senate and the Democrat Party stretching back for decades. This goes to the blocked nomination of Robert Bork, of the attempted blocked nomination, unsuccessfully, of course, of Justice Thomas. It was so fitting that Justice Thomas was the one who swore in ACB last night. Goes to the blocking uh, of Miguel Estrada, uh, Democrats blocking him. And then Harry Reid and the nuclear option. Sorry, you know, they they changed the rules. We're playing by the rules as they change them. Too bad. This is politics. And yes, as Mitch McConnell said, play uh, play clip six. Our Democratic colleagues keep repeating the word illegitimate as if repetition would make it true. You just say it often enough. Does it make it true? I don't think so. We're a constitutional republic. Legitimacy does not flow from their feelings. You know, legitimacy is not the result of how they feel about it. You know, you can't win them all. And elections have consequences. And what this administration and this Republican Senate has done is exercise the power that was given to us by the American people in a manner that is entirely within the rules of the Senate and the Constitution of the United States. Case closed. That's it. Elections have consequences. These are the rules. Everything was legitimate. Democrats need to find something to say that is true if they're going to complain about this so much. Just start with that. Stop lying, libs, and start getting used to calling your Supreme Court justice ACB. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It is highly fitting that Justice Barrett fills the seat of a true pioneer for women. It's Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Tonight, Justice Barrett becomes not only the fifth woman to serve on our nation's highest court, but the very first mother of school-aged children to become a Supreme Court justice. Very important. You see what a fraud feminism as practiced by the left is at times like this, don't you? Here you have a woman who is having it all. Incredibly successful, totally self-made, not reliant on a man, seven children, great mom, stable, loving you know, relationship with her husband and now elevated to the Supreme Court. And this should be a victory for, for all women, right? This is she's the ultimate working mom, isn't she? Well, but no, but she's not a she's not a struggling single mom who 
is going to rely upon the state for help. So the Democrats don't care about this narrative. Oh, and even more importantly, she's not a leftist who believes the Constitution says whatever the left wants it to say at any point in time. So she doesn't count. It's almost like she's not a woman. Isn't that astonishing? The mother of seven is somehow not representative of female empowerment. Did you did you see any kind of girl power stuff trending on social media last night? Were you you seeing any of the usual characters in the media who talk about how important it is to have diversity? She's a woman. Isn't gender diversity something that we should all celebrate? Isn't diversity of background when it comes to schooling? Finally, we have a Supreme Court justice who did not go to Harvard, Columbia or Yale law schools. Went to Notre Dame. And why'd she go to Notre Dame? Because she's not rich. She's not connected. No one wrote a check to get her into school. Nobody waved her into an Ivy League institution because she's a preferred category, whether minority or legacy or whatever. No, she's just really, really smart, impressive, hardworking. And yet the left not only refuses to celebrate this, They're mourning it. I mean, they're openly telling us that this is something that makes them deeply upset. And they they won't even say, well, it's great that a a mother of seven is on the Supreme Court, uh, because remember, the left has also been training women for a long time now to think family, not really important. Being in a stable, uh, loving, monogamous marriage, that doesn't matter. You know, you just just do it all for the Instagram posts. And make sure that, you know, you can get the the biggest corporate job you can step over all the bodies you have to do whatever you got to do. Be just like the most sociopathic man in corporate America. That's the real model for women This is what they're telling ladies all across the country. I see it. I'm here in New York City. I know women like that in my peer group. I've grown up with them. Doesn't make them happy. I, I know we're not supposed to say it doesn't make them happy, though. You know, what I think is happy. Amy Coney Barrett, and not because she's a Supreme Court justice. That's the icing on the cake. I think she's happy because she feels like she has a purposeful, stable, loving life, day-to-day existence, family. All that stuff matters. But apparently you can have it all, but you got to build one along with the other. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. This separation of duty from political preference is what makes the judiciary distinct among the three branches of government. A judge declares independence not only from Congress and the president, but also from the private beliefs that might otherwise move her. The judicial oath captures the essence of the judicial duty. The rule of law must always control. My fellow Americans, even though we judges don't face elections, we still work for you. It is your Constitution that establishes the rule of law and the judicial independence that is so central to it. The oath that I have solemnly taken tonight means at its core that I will do my job without any fear or favor and that I will do so independently of both the political branches and of my own preferences. I love the Constitution and the Democratic Republic that it establishes, and I will devote myself to preserving it. 
all of this sound thinking, virtue, wisdom, decency, jurisprudence that's worthy of the name, all of it is somehow offensive to the Democrats right now. In fact, even when Trump, for example, praises Ruth Bader Ginsburg in memoriam, saying, well, ACB is taking on the seat of a great pioneer. You can tell they get offended by that. Like he shouldn't be able to even say the initials RBG. And, oh, they hate it so much when all of us say ACB. The left has already told us that, which is why I really make a point of saying ACB all the time. But you'll notice the way that they approach all of this. It's almost like decency, uh, constitutional interpretation that's not politicized, that's not uh, the the judges essentially telling the public, a judge like Amy Coney Barrett, telling them, I'm going to apply the law as written and I'm going to be a faithful, you know, a faithful arbiter of what the constitutional and legislative intent is of any given statute. I'm not going to just give people what I think they should have. For liberals, that's like garlic smeared on the face of a, of a vampire. I mean, they, they hate this. They're like, what do you mean you're not going to give us what we want? They've gotten used to this decades and decades of on, on the biggest issues, nine out of ten times, big social issues in particular, Democrats get their way. On Obamacare, the plain language of, well, plain language, I mean, the, the plain meaning of plain language was abused so that they could save it the first time around. A tax is a penalty. A penalty is a tax. And they they contort themselves because who, who wants to be the judge who's held responsible for taking away pre-existing conditions? Who knew that all those years that I lived in this country without Obamacare, I was just unaware of the millions of people without any access to medical care, who are just dying on the streets all the time, that Obamacare saved. Really? That's, that's a thing? Hmm. Interesting. That's the way that it's positioned. But they hate all of this. They hate also the, the decency and humility and kindness that ACB exudes. Remember, they were pointing to all of these polls uh, before her confirmation because the media called the five-alarm fire. Oh, my gosh! Trump's going to fill another Supreme Court seat. So they created this this frenzy around it. And then when everyone saw who Trump had appointed, when these hearings happened, we saw this person who's just legally several tiers above. I mean, as a legal mind, she is in a whole other echelon from the Senate Democrats who are desperately trying to trip her up. And she wasn't smug and she wasn't, uh, you know, condescending or rude about it. She just is better than them at this, knows more than them, and that came across, but also has a fundamental kindness and decency and, and has, look, I'm just, just going to say it, a, a maternal warmth. You know, she, she seems like a mom. She seems like the person who, you know, your kids, if, if they were going to go play with their friends, and she's the mom that you would want to be watching them and, you know, making them some beef stew or something after a cold day playing in the backyard. That's who Amy Coney Barrett is. She also happens to be legally brilliant. This is all offensive to liberals. They, they, ah, they can't handle it. They can't handle it. They hate all of it. Like I said, what's that all about? Right? Maybe if just the sight of the crucifix 
causes your skin to melt off. The problem is you. You know, maybe somebody who's so decent, so qualified and such an asset to the United States, to our system, uh, not being celebrated tells us much more about the people refusing to do the celebration. In fact, the condemnation, that's what they are doing. And that's why we saw right away the switch from you can't do this. You're breaking norms, which is not true. You can't do this. This is illegitimate. Not true. Right. There, there are some things that are true and some things are not. We can go through this. They, they're, their claims about this as uh, as being in any way illicit, illegitimate, prohibited by any rules anywhere is a lie. But then they switch from that to, OK, well, now we're just going to break all the rules. This is, this is one of the most classic Democrat whiplash moments I've ever seen. Nancy Pelosi gets right to it. She, she's very upset. She's waking up. She's got a, she's got a hangover. That, that, that soft blanc she had last night was just delicious, but uh, it's tiring. Here she is telling everybody what she thinks should happen. Play four. Well, I think that Joe Biden has given us a good path. He's going to have something that people can understand why this is important. And I like what something that Brian said about not just the Supreme Court, but the other courts. It was a hundred. Oh, well, in 1879, in 1876, there were nine justices on the court. Our population has grown enormously since then. Should we expand the court? Well, let's take a look and see. Right. But not, and that relates to the nine uh, district courts. Maybe we need more district courts as well. And one other thing we need, we need for these justices to disclose their holdings. Why should all the rest of us have to disclose our holdings? And that is appropriate, but not if you're a justice of the Supreme Court. They're in this ivory tower. Pack the courts. She's just saying it straight up. She wants you to know this is going to be the plan. Notice the timeline here. If you take a, a chronological overview of what the Democrats have done, they politicized the court and then they realized that since they'd done that and they were getting away with it, they wanted to keep it that way. So then they started blocking judges they didn't like. And then they got rid of blocks on judges they did like. And they were warned at the time, including by Mitch McConnell explicitly, OK, but now you're going to have to deal with us getting through judges that we like and you don't. And they didn't care. I mean, they're like a child who's been caught lying, you know, caught lying about doing his homework. And now instead of accepting that they should just do their homework, they should just accept reality and responsibility. They're going into school and they're just trying to steal somebody else's again. They're trying to find some other way around this. There, there should be a principle here. There should be a grounding in what the rules of the road are. Why is this Okay for Democrats, they should ask that question. Why would court packing be acceptable? Well, they think it's because they shouldn't have to live in a country where they don't get what they want from the courts. Where on decisions where some Americans want one thing and other Americans want another, it's not the law as written as passed by the legislatures. And then, of course, with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as the framework for all of this as the foundation for it really and and weighing these uh, weighing these different legal interests it's just one side should get what it wants the other should suffer in silence and that's what we've seen for the courts for at least the supreme court for a long time 
They don't have to deal with that in their minds, but we should. I mean, think about the, the lack of logic here, the lack of adult thinking. They're going to change the whole system because all of a sudden the system doesn't work to their advantage. But I thought that the system should be in place in such a way that it's not about advantage. Right? That there are other the legislative branch of government is supposed to be what makes determinations about within the framework of the Constitution, within the framework of the Bill of Rights, what we do, you know, what our government does in this country. So on their clothes, you know, what should the tax rate be? Legislative question. Right. Well, you know, you look at all these different issues, you know, what should be illegal? Legislative question. Right? This is what, you know, what crimes, what uh, what criminal statutes should be passed. But the Democrats like to have this stopgap of uh, or rather this uh, this fallback of having some super legislature that they feel like will always at the end of the day cave to the pressure of the mob and give them what they want. And they just assume that our side is going to just keep taking that forever. Why? Why would we do that? They haven't really even thought this one through because the Democrat Party has become the party of the mob. It's the mob mentality made into a political uh, political union. It's just what what does what does the frenzied collective demand? What do the emotions of the masses, irrespective of law, precedent, history, natural law, you name it. What does the what do the masses demand right now? Democrats try to try to deliver that, which is why you're seeing uh, what was AOC time to pack the courts. There are there are others as well. You know, others as well. The more radical Democrats just say out loud what we know the rest of them feel. Here's uh, Ilhan Omar, play seven. I mean, this is really an illegitimate process, um, truly, that has exposed the hypocrisy of Republicans as they've rushed through this process and um, have foregone many of the traditions that they have set themselves. Uh, and it's leaving so many Americans really worried uh, about what this would mean for them, what it would mean for women in regards to reproductive rights, what it would mean for immigrants like myself um, when it comes to our religious liberty, what it would mean for our brothers and sisters in the queer community or the trans folks in our community um, when, when it comes to their rights to equality. Uh, we also know that there are so many people who are worried because they have pre-existing conditions. Um, and I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much there that's blather. I, I don't have time to go through all of it. Uh, what exactly is she? So when, when, first of all, I this this term reproductive rights, just say abortion. There's no other reproductive right we're talking about. Just say what say what the procedure, say what it is. Abortion. Right. I, when we're having a conversation about taxes, you don't hear me saying, oh, well, you know, the the the, gov- the the government requested donation from your personal bank account to the Treasury. No, we call it taxes. It's not reproductive rights. It's abortion. Let's just use the word. Let's all understand what we're talking about. But when politicians resort to euphemisms, as George Orwell so uh, eloquently uh, wrote about in his uh, politics in the English language when they resort to euphemisms you, you know that something's up if they can't tell you what this if they can't use the words for what they're really trying to do or what's really going on they're obviously trying to fool you in some way they're trying to avoid responsibility to evade accountability in some fashion 
But the other part of this that I, I found uh, really interesting was that it's rushed through. This is another just another just whiny nonsense point. They're saying that it's rushed through. Well, what what would be a, a fair enough timeline? What would be a fair enough timeline? We already saw ACBs entirely qualified. What else do we have to see? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. As Judge Barrett describes so-called originalism, it means she's supposed to interpret the Constitution's text and understand it to have the meaning it had when the Constitution was ratified. But interpreting the Constitution in that manner has been used over and over to deny rights to women, to communities of color, and to the LGBTQ individuals, members of our society who had no rights when the Constitution was ratified. Originalism is racist. Originalism is sexist. Originalism is homophobic. For originalists like Judge Barrett, LGBT stands for let's go back in time, a time when you couldn't marry who you love when you couldn't serve in the military if you were trans, a time when rights were not extended to gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, or intersex individuals. Originalism, originalism is just a fancy word for discrimination. Okay, a little speech there from Senator Ed Markey. Let's just uh, stop. Let's take it for a moment here. Um, if you don't have originalism, what do you have? You just have judges making stuff up. That's, all, that's what you have. If it's not... What do the words say? And what was the intent of the legislature when it passed this law? What do you have? Right. What they keep talking about is expanding on interpretations of the Bill of Rights, let's say. Like, well, you know, what, what does the Equal Protection Clause actually mean? OK, fine. That's what judges do. They look at. But originalism just means, well, I'm not going to view a legal document or I'm not going to view a, a law a statute as having words that are irrelevant to me because I want something else to be the case in this country. So I'm just going to say, well, this is what it says. Anti-originalism is a recipe for legal anarchy. It's actually a recipe for tyranny more than anarchy now that it comes out of my mouth. But same idea. They make it up as they go along. Right. So we don't know what the laws really are. We don't know what the laws say until a judge tells us what they say. That's true all the time. You know, what does that even include? You know, it, it, Roe v. Wade's a perfect example. It's in the penumbras. You've got a special right. OK, well, you know, the right to bear arms. Yeah, no, I, I do have I, I got a judge that's going to say I do have the right to a nuclear weapon in my home because I got the right to bear arms and arms includes nuclear weapons. Arms control treaty. Boom. Done. Right. That's the opposite of of originalism. Not looking at context and legal interpretation based upon what's actually passed. It's just, what do I want? I, I, I want to be able to have, you know, I, I want to be able to have intercontinental ballistic missiles in my living room. So, you know, I'm just going to say that I'm, I'm going to make sure there's a judge that'll give that to me. Okay. All of a sudden, when liberals don't like the outcome, then they become originalists. See, they, they don't, they don't understand what a principle is. They, they don't understand. Are they really just. It's whatever they want. It's emotion over reason. That's the, the fundamental problem here is the left refuses to accept that there are some things that are true, even if they don't want them to be true. Like Amy Coney Barrett is now in the Supreme Court. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. One week, friends, until this election. One week, and I do want everyone to stay oh so motivated right now. You're going to have to stand in lines. You're going to have to convince those friends of yours, those relatives who are you know, either worried about COVID being outside, you know, waiting in lines, or they're worried about uh, you know, making the wrong decision or whatever, or, or they're apathetic and they just don't care. You got to get as many people as you can out there. And I think one good way to motivate folks would be to have Hillary Clinton explain to them how horrifying it would be to her if Donald Trump won four more years. So terrible. Play 21. I can't entertain the idea of him winning. So let's, you know, let's just preface it by that because it makes me literally sick to my stomach to think that we'd have four more years of this abuse and destruction of our institutions and damaging of our norms and our values and lessening of our leadership. And the list goes on. (sighs) Lessening our values. Isn't it amazing that Hillary Clinton really thinks that she's in a position to talk to people about values and decency? I mean, this is a woman who has been a professional liar for the last, oh, 30 years or so. This is what she does. But she's the moral compass of America, and she's worried. It makes her sick to her stomach. What was the really terrible thing that Donald Trump did in this? Oh, I know. He's responsible for 200,000 COVID deaths. Idiots think that. That's true. Is he responsible for the COVID deaths in Argentina, which right now has the highest per capita death rate from COVID of any place in the entire world. Is that Trump's fault? Or I just, I just want to know. Europe is now going through lockdowns and people are protesting the lockdowns in countries like Spain. They're saying, hold on, we already did this. And we have still, they still have been, they didn't, uh, the, I, the media wants you to think that these other countries, oh, it turned into a wild party and everybody was going out drinking and doing all this stuff. It was all normal. No, that's not true. Just like it was in a lot of places in this country. Limitations on gatherings, people still being cautious, people still masking. Big spikes in cases. Well, that's not very, for those who believe, you just have to listen to Fauci. It's not very encouraging, is it? Doing everything that they tell us to do and we're still having big spikes in cases. Maybe what they're telling us to do is insufficient. Maybe it doesn't even matter. Remember when it was 15 days to slow the spread? Why wasn't it 15 days to shut the virus down entirely? Or why didn't they just tell us three months? We're going to shut this down entirely. We're going to we're going to kill because they know it's impossible. So if it's impossible to stand out the virus entirely, what are you doing by putting imperfect mitigation measures in place as we are? Right. You're just extending the timeline of transmission. And it's not even until vaccine because Dr. Fauci, this is the latest, is telling people now, well, even if you have a vaccine, that only will uh, th- that is likely to prevent you from getting symptoms, but it doesn't mean you won't have the virus. Hmm? Well, is, is he now claiming that even with the vaccine, you can still transmit the virus? Is that is that the claim? Folks, we're going to be locked down. The bureaucrats are going to keep doing this to us until we say enough. Shut your face. You don't know what you're talking about. Leave us alone. I have rights. I'm done with this. Until we reach that point as a country, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to go, wow, there's no, there's no downside for them. What do you think? Fauci is so sad that, uh, you know, the bars are all going out of business and he can order takeout. He's fine. He's rich. No problem. So 
it's 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 really stunning. I, I know I'm getting off on a little tangent here about this, but the the whole pitch for Donald Trump losing this election is COVID. That's really it. Oh, and he's a racist and a you know rapist and a sexist and all 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 these things, right? All the Russian asset, all the stupid stuff that they say. But the only policy area where they think they can really dig in is on COVID. The president uh, understands that. He knows that this is the game that they're playing right now, and he's just saying, "Look, it's." It's going to change on November 4th. All of a sudden, there's going to be a very, a very different feeling on this one. But until we get to that point, we don't know how the American people are going to finally come down on this. Over 60 million early votes cast so far. So, yes, if you can vote for Trump, at least you'll be upsetting Hillary Clinton, which in and of itself is a thing that I, I would I would assume everybody's very pleased about. I, I know that I am. And I'm glad that the president is also pointing out that Joe Biden's running a very risky strategy here. He is running out the clock without knowing what's really on the scoreboard. Would you do that in a sports sports game? The, the coach saying, I feel like we're ahead. I don't even I don't know what the score is, but I, I think we did better. I think we scored more baskets than they did. So let's just pass it around and see if we can run time off the clock here to finish this thing out. Now, that's one thing when you know you're up. They don't know they're up. They think they're up. So instead of trying to score, they're just trying to prevent the other side from scoring. And that's with this uh, keeping Biden home situation. Uh, play 17. You know, it's funny. I thought it wasn't going to make it. But one thing, unlike Joe, where he goes into a basement, if he loses and, you know, who knows what, ha- what happens, right? It's called an election. He should be ashamed of himself because he didn't work. And, and no, seriously, he didn't work. One thing I did five, six, and sometimes seven of these in one day, those last few days. And during the regular time, I do two or three. Today, today I'm doing three of these. Tremendous crowd waiting for us at another point. Yeah. Biden's work ethic on display for everybody here. Calling lids, calling it quits. Of course, he's now saying, oh, we, we work. We work super late all the time. This is Joe Biden. Try to explain that one. Play 14. You've kept a relatively light public schedule in the past few days. Can you give us a sense of what, how much you'll be traveling in the next few days, where you might be going? I just told you where I was going to be traveling, and I, by the way, I traveled the last few days, too. Are you, are you going to Iowa, sir? I'm going to be going to Iowa, I'm going to Wisconsin, I'm going to Georgia, I'm going to Florida, and maybe other places as well. There's a lot we've been doing as well in terms of being online and social, de- uh, excuse me, uh, everything from fundraising efforts to making sure we meet. I've met today with a group of leaders in the Democratic Party laying out where we're going to go, getting their input and the like. So we're constantly there has not been a day that hadn't been a 12 hour day yet. That's right. Joe works super hard. They call it at 9 a.m. a lot of days, but he's, he's working, working hard. What's the point of going to a state if you're not going to deal with any people or talk to any of the actual residents? Maybe they'll speak to a handful or something just for the appearances sake. But usually you you campaign so that you get out there and you see the folks, right? That's not what's happening at these Biden rallies. So he's going to these places just to go a little bit. I I think someone pointed out uh, it was Dagan McDowell from Fox that, you know, Biden was uh, saying he had an event in Pennsylvania yeah, it just happened to technically be across the border from Delaware. It's 20, 20 minutes from his house. <laughs> that, that's Biden really, really putting in the extra mile. Look, maybe they don't need to. Maybe they are 
protecting a lead that they actually have. I'm not convinced. I think Donald Trump's still going to win this thing. But as I've been telling you, I think it's going to be very close. I, I believe you might have an election here that comes down to one state. I've been looking at the numbers. I've been playing with the delegate counts. And you may have a situation where Trump gets to 272 and Biden gets to 262. That's actually a, a, a viable scenario that I uh, war gamed out uh, earlier this week when I was looking at how this would all add up. And you know what the you know what the deciding factor would be in that situation pennsylvania it all comes down to pennsylvania if trump wins pennsylvania ohio and florida he's basically got this thing i don't think he's going to win michigan and wisconsin i think that those are probably or 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 iowa but he can lose those states and still win if he maintains everything else from 2016 including pennsylvania florida and ohio he's got to win the big three swing states which means that Pennsylvania, which last night, uh, oh, no, uh, Pennsylvania has already extended its ballot deadline. Wisconsin tried to extend its ballot, uh, its ballot counting deadline, but the Supreme Court said no. Democrats obviously very upset about that. Uh, They always seem to think that by making fewer rules, making it easier for things to go awry in election process, that somehow they're the ones protecting and defending democracy. Uh, but this is uh, quite a quite a strategy the Biden team has here. Don't do very much. Just sort of be there. Let the media carry the water for you. Let the media do the heavy lifting. Biden's like the manager on the site while the construction workers were actually building the house. Right? He's like, yeah, good job, guys. Yeah, keep going. CNN and MSNBC, they're the ones out there in the trenches really making it happen. Um, is, is there an enthusiasm gap? This, these are now the intangibles. I mean, you, you have to look at some of these intangibles for why Trump could still win, given that as I look at all the polling, he's behind pretty much everywhere that matters right now. According to the polls, that's not the same thing as saying he's actually behind everywhere. Right. Um, most of the national news media, the punditocracy is already confident of a Biden win. And he is in this run out the clock mode, but I still think Trump's going to win. It's not going to be a landslide, though. Like I said, I think Trump is just going to barely squeak past 270. I think he'll get to between 270 and 280, let's say, electoral college votes. And it could be a one state race. But even if that's the case, it's going to be a massive shock to the consensus driven world of uh, political prognostication, as you know. And I do think it's going to be the absolute dogfight in Pennsylvania that determines this could even delay the final election, because if it think about this, you have all these states finally that are called and counted. But Pennsylvania is too close to call. And that's the that's the state that will determine who wins the election. And they've got a few extra days after the election to count ballots. Can you imagine what we are setting ourselves up for here? I I think there's a very real chance this is the way it's going to go. I know we have a lot of listeners in Pennsylvania, so you'll definitely have to share your thoughts with me about which districts you think or you know, which areas of the state are going to be key in this whole process. Um, but I think the biggest reason for optimism is the intangible stuff right now. For one thing, you know, Trump is going all out in the last days of his campaign. He's doing multiple events a day. He's taking his pitch for four more years to this string of 10,000 person plus you know, venues. These crowds are huge. And look, I get it. I understand that anecdotal information is dangerous in a political season. 
Um, and I've had word from the campaign's ground game in Florida, Ohio, and Pennsylvania that they think that there is a fire in the belly of Trump's, uh, Trump's base that's just going to defy all expectations come Election Day. But the thing about a silent majority is you don't know it's there till it speaks. And we're going to have to see if they speak on Election Day for this president. I know the MAGA faithful believe so. And this has been a very challenging year for the country. It's very tough to feel like you know what the zeitgeist is. What is the pulse of the nation right now politically? And I do think Trump has turned the corner. There's a momentum to his campaign right now. And Biden is largely hiding in the basement. So is he right? Is Trump right when he says that Biden is hiding because people don't have enthusiasm? Play 18. And we had two of them, and Sleepy Joe was down there, and they said, you got to get out of this basement. So he traveled from Delaware to a little tiny corner of Pennsylvania, like right next to Delaware, and he made a speech. And he said that he doesn't do these kind of rallies because of COVID, you know? Because of, no, he doesn't do that because nobody shows up. That's why. Because nobody shows up. It is tough to, I know a lot of you are saying Seabuck, and I've seen the photos too, but what a convenient excuse, right? Biden's had a convenient excuse not to be out beyond his handler's reach on this campaign trail, right? Where they keep him on a very tight leash, and he's been able to get away with this because of COVID, right? The hiding in the basement routine, and the very sparsely populated events that he does have, it's because of COVID. So there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of unknown here, friends. But absent some truly outrageous last minute ambush, I think Trump is going to find his uh, he's going to spend his final days in this campaign focused on radical Democrat positions like fossil fuels, extreme lockdowns, higher taxes. That's all stuff that may do well in Santa Monica for Joe Biden and his donors and on the uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan. But energy industry folks in Pennsylvania probably want to keep their jobs. And Pennsylvania is the key, isn't it the keystone state. It's the. It's the keystone to this election, that's for sure. And I still have this feeling, this deep sense that Trump is going to once again blow away the doubters and the haters and he's going to make political history. He, he pulled off what you, you remember felt like a political miracle back in 2016. I think he's going to need something similar this time around to get it done. But I still believe the Trumpster is going to pull it off. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I'm not shutting down oil fields. I'm not eliminating fracking. I'm investing in clean energy, and we're going to make sure that we don't continue to subsidize the oil companies. There's two estimates. They get somewhere between $25 billion and $40 billion in subsidies. That money should go in to making sure we do a lot of other good things. Yeah, a lot of windmills and turbines and... Solar panels, because those don't you love looking at a giant field of, of solar panels? Isn't that just so aesthetically pleasing? I mean, do you realize what goes into making a solar panel? A lot of them are so energy intensive that they put more. The creation of the CO2 panel puts more CO2 into the air than is saved by using the solar panel over its life cycle. At least that used to be the case. Maybe they've gotten a little bit more efficient now. Um, but Biden is clearly worried about Pennsylvania and about his comments on fracking. He, he challenged Trump to show what the comments were, right? He challenged Trump to show 
whether or not he really had said that he would ban fracking. And sure enough, turns out he wants to ban it. He just wants to take some time to do it. He just, he just wants to wait a little while. Well, how long is that? And the incrementalism that is obvious from a statement like that, right? The, the uh, position that Biden and others are taking here is, well, sure, we can't outright get rid of it tomorrow, but we're going to make it as, as onerous from a regulatory perspective and expensive from a taxation perspective as possible. And we're going to invest in clean energy of the future. Remember when the government did that with the Solyndra debacle under the Obama administration? The Obama administration, Department of Energy, thought it would be a good idea to have taxpayer uh, cash tossed in hundreds of millions of dollars of it tossed into a solar company that was losing. And this this is true, was losing money on every solar panel it sold. So it's like it would cost five dollars to make a solar panel and they were selling them for four dollars. And the government's like, well, we'll have the taxpayers prop up this business because, you know, we'll, we'll make up the loss on volume as the old joke goes. It's crazy. Hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, taxpayer guarantee for for that company. And they've learned no lessons in this. They think the government is a great venture capital partner in green energy deals. Well, because it's also an enormous apparatus that Democrats have put themselves into all over the place. You have big investors in the green energy sector now, but they need taxpayer cash. They can't allow the market to just do what it does. They can't allow people to make decisions based upon profit. They have to push this based upon fear. So that's why Joe Biden is sitting here telling everybody, oh, we're going to invest in the green energy of the future. Yeah, the government's going to be writing checks from your pocket to put money in the pockets of people. that are going to sell, you know, carbon offsets and and wind farms and turbines and all this other nonsense. Right. It's happening, folks, but it's going to happen over the next hundred years. Biden can stop pretending he's going to make it happen in the next four years. And then there's the problem that Pennsylvania had last night in Philadelphia. Let's get into that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's recall, what was the biggest news story of the summer in 2020? Was it the recovery from COVID-19 the economy was having? No, that was a story, but it wasn't the thing that dominated the headlines. It wasn't what all of social media was constantly alight with it wasn't that no it was protests against police brutality that's what it started out as right the black lives matter movement and then it very quickly morphed into corporate america bending the knee and begging forgiveness from the blm movement for all the historical oppression and inequity in society and then it turned into toppling statues including statues of uh Christian missionaries, you know, Junipero Serra and conquistadors and Christopher Columbus. And I mean, all kinds of stuff. Right. It began perhaps with a few Civil War Confederate uh, statues, but they also went after statues of Abraham Lincoln. So there was the statue toppling frenzy. And we were all told that if you oppose that, right, if you thought that it was unnecessary to pull down the statue of Theodore Roosevelt in front of the Museum of Natural History, founded in part by Theodore Roosevelt in New York City, you're a bad person. That's what we were being told. And then there were all these riots, and they kept happening. There was this night of the purge, as I call it, in New York City, uh, 
where midtown Manhattan had people just shattering storefronts and looting. And the I mean, Macy's, one of the most famous department stores in the world, was 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 looted in, in Manhattan, in the biggest city in America. Just people running in, stealing stuff, smashing the windows, hundreds and hundreds of people running around. Very few arrests made. It was madness. Somehow we were to believe that this was about protesting police injustice. And it was all all kicked off by the the George Floyd incident with police in Minneapolis, where eventually uh, or, or soon after this, that incident happened, a police station was burned down. Remember that in Minneapolis, they burned down a police station. Hmm. That all dropped off. Right around September, all of a sudden, people either didn't care as much about police brutality, with the exception of Portland, which is now just like an anarchist, an anarchist zone. They can do whatever they want there. Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, is a little moron who's Antifa's errand boy and is always defending them and trying to make sure that no one says mean things about them, even while they're spitting and cursing in his face, because that's what lunatic left wing losers do. Uh, But they clearly recognized the more organized activist protest left realized that they are going to have to stop doing so much of this because if they show how much defund the police quickly turns into just hating police and demanding a separate set of rules for left-wing activists from the rest of society namely that you can attack cops and not suffer any consequences you can destroy property you can be a a federal criminal vandal and should not suffer any consequences uh, that when people see that they over time recognize that this is wrong, that this should not be allowed, that this should not continue. And we have one week before the election night. I'm not sure that it's going to be even determined whether who wins and you know, who wins or loses that day. But we have one week left. And just before people are going to be lining up here, if they haven't already, I know 60 million have voted early. They are reminded of what Biden voters and BLM activists think is appropriate behavior in a major American city. Last night in Philadelphia, uh, West Philadelphia, which is a part of the city that I've actually spent time in because it's where the University of Pennsylvania is. Uh, You had a man who was a 27 year old black man was shot by police officers. It is on bystander video and they have body cams. All right. So here's what ended up happening. You had uh, cops show up to the scene. And they there was some there was some disturbance. And uh, Walter Wallace, Jr., uh, said uh, had a knife in his hand and police police were trying to get him to drop it they said drop it many times it's all on video he comes at them with a knife and they shoot him now look this is a tragedy nobody really thinks that in a situation in a situation like this you know the the outcome that is that is desirable from anyone's perspective is the use of lethal force. It's a shame. It should not have had to happen. But unfortunately. It did happen. 
And that doesn't mean the same thing as saying that it's criminal or it's wrong or it's illegitimate for, for the police officers to have used lethal force. It's a tragedy. It's not a crime. Not the same thing. If you have a knife and you walk toward police officers and they tell you to drop the knife and you don't do it, they are going to shoot. This is very basic. This is very, there was another incident, I believe it was also in Philadelphia like this pretty recently, where a guy came out of a home, is going toward a cop. They say that he's emotionally disturbed or he has some mental health issues. That's sad. But again, the cop does not have to get stabbed in the chest or the neck or the face because of the history of systemic oppression in this country. That, that's not no individual is going to do that. Any individual, regardless of their race and regardless of the race of the attacker who is in, you know, in law enforcement, when confronted by somebody who has a lethal weapon, who does not put it down and who is closing the distance between them, will use their weapon will use their their uh, lethal force under the law. And that's what happened here. So what was the response to this? How how did the people uh, involved in these heated protests? That was the, the line that I kept seeing last night. How did people in these heated protests respond to all of it? Well, uh, they looted, of course, because what better way to show you're opposed to police violence than to steal sneakers from innocent people who have nothing to do with police violence, right? There's a store owner, there's employees. It's just theft. They're, they're not stealing from cops, even. They're just stealing from people. But, oh, they also attacked cops. 30 of them were injured. One female police officer in Philadelphia run over by a guy, it seems intentionally, uh, with, a, with a car. Drove a car into a line of cops. That's the kind of stuff that's happening in Philadelphia right now. 30 officers were wounded including with broken bones getting getting hit with you know with rocks and the usual mayhem that we see in the streets the democrat party embraced this the democrat party really is is responsible for this mentality that somehow this is acceptable that when there's an incident that involves police there are body cameras we're, we're all going to see exactly what happened why, why the resort to violence looting and destruction right away yeah, there's camera footage. I've seen it. We could play it for you here on the radio on, on the show. But I it's just it's disturbing. It is disturbing. I mean, it's somebody who's you're watching in real time as someone loses his life. But I can tell you, having watched the video, he's moving aggressively. He has a knife in his hand. There's no dispute about the facts. He's going toward the officers. Two of them. They have their guns drawn and they're saying, drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife. What do the BLM activists, what do the Democrats talk about police reform? What do they want these cops to do? Oh, and, and then you immediately hear afterwards, well, they shot 10 times. Maybe they should have shot him in the leg or something. Um, I'm assuming they probably had nine millimeter handguns. They're terrified. They could very quickly be killed in this circumstance. And the assumption is that if you're going to try to shoot somebody in the leg, what if then it doesn't actually stop this person from closing that distance and they're able to get one stat, one good stab in at your neck or your vitals. Do you want to take that chance? You shoot to stop the threat. That's it. That's the way law enforcement's trained. That's the only way they can be trained. And also you're trying to shoot somebody in the leg, the chances of you missing are high and you can very easily kill somebody. If you shoot them in the, 
in the pelvic girdle. They'll bleed out very quickly, too. So it's not like this is as simple as, oh, why didn't the cops just do something else? I'm even hearing people say, well, they should have used the taser on him. Uh, Do you want to try to taser somebody who's coming at you with a knife who's eight feet away? How quickly do you think they can close that distance? You sure that taser is going to fire? You sure that taser is going to work? This is now that this is now the new normal, though. All of the second guessing of law enforcement, the undermining of cops, because it plays to a narrative, a narrative the Democrats need right now that America is racist, that cops are bad and that any dysfunction or problems in minority communities across the country is predominantly the fault of aggressive policing and law enforcement. That's really that's really the problem. That's the violence that should be of greatest concern. In New York City, we had almost a 3%, uh, sorry, 300% year-to-year increase for last week in shootings, but it's cop violence that we all need to be worried about. I think everybody saw last night in Philadelphia a reminder of what the Biden voters out there really think should happen. People get upset because they've been taught to think that cops are the bad guys, cops are the problems, and then if they want to act out, if they want to break the law, they should be allowed to do so without consequence. No, not if we're going to keep living in a country called America where rule of law matters. You're not, you can't do that. People do need to be punished for this, and the, the punishment should be severe. Although if you look at the district attorney, Krasner in Philadelphia, I'm sure people will get off for this stuff. Assaulting officers, looting stores, stealing. Democrats are the party of lawlessness. Once again, it's emotion over reason. They have an angry mob. The angry mob must be placated. I hope everybody remembers this going into the election. I hope that anybody who has not yet made up their mind just thinks, what's my community going to be like when the party in charge is the one that coddles the rioters, the looters, and believes the cops are the bad guys even when someone's coming at them with a lethal weapon and being told, stop, stop, drop the weapon. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, uh, Mr. Biden, if I can. Sure. Uh, questions and controversy continues today about Hunter Biden, your son's... Uh, there is no controversy about my son. It's all a lie. It's a flat lie because the president has nothing else to run on. If you notice, while American people are talking about what's happening to their families, he has no plan. In the debate, he has no plan. Everything from the Wall Street Journal, every other major news outlet has said what he's saying is simply not true about my son. It's not true? Interesting. So I'm of two minds on this whole Hunter Biden situation, as you know. Um, I'm, I would say I'm disgusted, but I expected this. Yeah, sure. Hunter Biden is a, a total screw-up, and the guy was making money off of his dad, and everything that was said about that before was true. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things. It's gross. It's corrupt. But I am also here to tell you that this is a conservative media and base fixation that I just don't believe is going to make a difference in this election. I felt that way all along. Doesn't mean it's not worth covering and talking about as we have. It's an interesting story. It shows that the Democrats are putting forward a candidate who is clearly ethically compromised and they don't care. 
first in, in, in my mind of all this is that it shows that the mainstream or the, uh, well, the mainstream media, but also the major tech platforms out there on social media, Twitter, Facebook, they were willing to suppress this story at the absolute peak of an election. So that's a, a lesson that I hope we apply to the future and take action on. But if we're thinking that this Hunter Biden thing is, uh, you know, that that putting out more emails that show just what a messed up, sad individual of poor judgment this Hunter Biden is, uh, it's, it's not going to do anything. It really isn't. I'm, I'm telling you, I know people say, oh, Buck, you don't know that yet. And there's all this frenzy around it. And the conservative media ecosystem is really focused in on this one. I just don't see it. You think that you think that people care about whether they believe Hunter Biden is is gross and corrupt or they care about who they think is going to be better at managing the economy next year, better at dealing with covid. Right. These are the big questions that move people one way or the other. I, I just I just don't think Hunter Biden really matters all that much. It reminds me a lot of Benghazi. Now, that was a very serious incident and we obviously lost four brave Americans and if it was not for the heroism of uh, some former military contractors overseas, we would have lost a whole lot more people in that incident. And it was der- gross dereliction by the Obama administration, by Hillary Clinton, specifically the secretary of state. But it, does anyone really think that that cost Obama any votes or Hillary any votes for that matter? Really? There are a lot of things that cost Hillary votes. I don't think Benghazi was one of them. But we spent a lot of time on that one. You know, Trey Gowdy built the whole career just pounding the table. Well, I'm going to get answers on Benghazi. Yeah, sure you are. Yeah. So, and you know, Lindsey Graham with the Durham probe, a similar idea. You know, oh, we're going to get the answers any moment now. Just watch me tonight on cable news and we'll get the answers for you. I just don't think the Hunter Biden story is going to make a difference. And I'll tell you this. If Joe Biden wins. Nothing bad's happening to Hunter Biden or anybody else involved in this or around this. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So you can just forget about that, too. People are like, oh, but there'll be more revelations. You think under a Biden administration, anybody in the Justice Department is going to touch a corruption case involving the president's son? See, what they accuse our side of doing, the, the kind of despotism and authoritarianism that they say that our side is guilty of, once again, they're actually guilty of it, right? Meaning that, the regime protection is going to be a, a top consideration. And it's funny because Kamala is out there saying the opposite of what will be true, which is that a, a DOJ or a Biden administration won't be there to protect the Biden administration. Play 10. I'm sorry. Play 11. There is a huge difference between Joe Biden and my perspective on the Department of Justice and Donald Trump. We will not have a Department of Justice that conducts itself as the personal lawyer of the president. As, such as the way that Donald Trump has done. And the, whoever leads the Department of Justice, if we win, is someone who will be independent and will make the decisions based on whatever in their discretion with the facts and evidence they have is appropriate without any interference from the White House, period. Well, we shall see. Well, actually, hopefully we won't see because Biden won't end up winning. But I can tell you this. Uh, if you if you want to worry about reprisals and payback from the Justice Department, just get ready for what Biden's team will do when they come in. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Preparations for post-election violence 
already underway. Implicit in all of this is that we know where the violence is going to come from, right? We know which side of the political aisle is going to resort to looting and burning things down and because this is what they do. This has become a part of the political culture of the left. That kind of lawlessness, tyranny, terror, destruction, it's not condemned. They really have no problem with it. Only at the, at the very last moment in the general election campaign was Joe Biden willing to even say, you know, you shouldn't break the law, folks. Oh, gee. Brave. Brave stuff. But the Texas National Guard is sending a thousand troops to five of the state's biggest cities, according to Fox News here, to handle any outbreaks of violence on Election Day or afterward. The cities include Dallas, Houston, Fort Worth, Austin and San Antonio. And there's the, quote, possibility that some of the troops might be sent to polling locations in those areas as soon as the weekend which has prompted Democrats to speculate about voter suppression. Right, sure. The National Guard uh, being deployed is voter suppression now. Now, now, they don't trust the, now they don't trust the military either. They don't trust the cops. They don't trust the military. The only people in the government that Democrats trust are Dr. Fauci and James Comey, formerly in the government. They're the only people that we should listen to about everything. And if you question them, you're a bad person. Uh, there's something very sad about a country with two major political parties and one of them just having no problem with the thuggery within its own ranks. In fact, viewing the people who go out and loot and and destroy and commit arson and attack police as the vanguard of an ideological movement that's at the center of the Democrat Party itself. And they don't call this out. They don't condemn it. They pretend that it's not going on actually that's really the the biggest thing that you see is the intense gaslighting against the american people that they engage in with all of this stuff that's what's really happening right oh there's no there were no riots over the summer really it was mostly peaceful didn't you see the 90 percent plus protests or something that didn't involve violence well when you have hundreds and hundreds of protests and 10 percent of them involve real mayhem destruction and criminality that's a lot of those bad things happening the democrats of course just hope that nobody pays attention to this they hope that the shock troops of antifa and the blm activists and all the stuff that we saw i mean remember those women who were shrieking in the faces of dc metro police and you know saying that how how dare they stand there and enforce the laws and just screaming and all this craziness and these people that go to these colleges, they don't learn anything and they come out and they all want to be activists. Oh, I want to be activists. You know, changing the world in ways that are useful, uh, that kind of, that diff- that's difficult. That's hard to do. It requires diligence, patience, hard work, humility, perseverance, You got to stay on it. It's not easy to do things that are worthwhile. You know what's really easy? Putting up your support for BLM on Instagram. You know what's really easy? Showing up at a march with a thousand other people who are all just feeling like they're really doing important, great stuff because they're such good people and they all take photos of themselves and yeah, and they live stream it. It doesn't make anything better. It doesn't build anything. 
And what did the Democrats build? What did the grassroots, the activist class of the Democrat Party build over the course of the summer? Nothing. They destroyed. And they didn't even really help the Biden campaign. So you can't even say that this was politically uh, ended up, I think, being politically useful for them. It became a liability. In the early days, it was just mobilization of the Democrat Party base. But then they couldn't really control it. Then they realized that they had a problem on their hands. And now with the riots in Philadelphia last night, again, over a, a what seems to be entirely justified police shooting. It's a reminder to everybody that the, the decline in major cities that we're seeing of law and order, the rise of violence and instability, uh, it is going to get worse with Democrats because they have they have shifted their thinking once again, you know, through the 70s into the 80s and the 90s. Democrats believe that violence in society was a problem of society, meaning that we were the cause of it, not individuals making wrong decisions for which they should be punished. The reason that there were you know, violent acts that were going on in, in such large numbers, particularly in major cities, was because of, of societal failings. You know, we, we were creating criminals. Criminals weren't making choices. There's been a bit of a return to that. And it's interesting because it's come at the same time as we have this whole criminal justice reform movement. And I, I can tell you that there's some libertarian impulses that even I have shared at different points in the, in, in the recent past where I say, OK, look, nonviolent drug offenses. People shouldn't go to prison for a long time for that. That doesn't seem OK. Well, we start that conversation. And then all of a sudden we get people who are violent, who we're being told should be let out of prison or should have much shorter sentences. Now we're being told that that individuals who throw rocks at cops, as long as they're chanting Black Lives Matter, shouldn't spend any real time in jail. That trying to burn down a federal courthouse in Portland shouldn't result in a serious prison sentence. There's been this shift. What started as a good faith discussion about crime and punishment in our society has now become an opening for radicals. Abolish the police. Defund the police. Abolish the prisons. Empty out the prisons. This is something you'll hear from the the hardcore activists on the left will make this case to you that we should have. And they'll just pick some number. We should have some massive reduction in the prison population. I always want to ask when this comes up, are you saying that all these people are innocent? Is society going to be better off if people don't uh, get punished for crimes that are serious? Is that going to make people feel... You know, even the nonviolent drug offenses, I always feel like they leave this out. People who are selling fentanyl and and heroin, for example, are complicit in an illegal process that's killing tens of thousands of Americans every year. We're going to consider that nonviolent. You're selling fentanyl to people could kill them the first time they take it. And you're doing that to make a small profit. That shouldn't be punished pretty severely. Wow. Where are we heading as a, as a country if that's really the, the direction that we take? No, I mean, in one of the big uh, omissions that, that happened over the summer, I think everybody was aware of this too, at least people that were being honest about what's happening. I, when I say everybody, you know, this is just the way of speaking. I know that the Democrats obviously all disagree. But there was no real conversation about root causes for individual violence or individual failings. It's always about the collective, right? It's always about what what's out there in general and so no one's really held responsible for what they do and therefore they can get away with whatever they want and this then very quickly feeds into the mob mentality 
You know, I'm I'm angry about this, so I'm going to break in this store. There's 50 other people. We're all angry. It's not on any one of us individually to make this choice. We're doing this because of the failings of society, you see. And now I'm going to steal a bunch of sneakers. Democrats have a lot of excuses to make for this and very little sympathy for the communities, the business owners, the employees, the people that are harmed directly by this. They really just don't care. I think I think we should all remember that, too. Nancy Pelosi always talking about how she cares about the little guy. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is the biggest rich lib fraud imaginable. This is somebody who could care less about people that are actually working hard for a living, has no idea what that's like, has no idea as an adult for the last 50 years having to worry about bills or the mortgage or anything. Nah, that's for that's for the poor people. But she wants to tell those poor people that she cares so much about them. And one of the things Democrats will do to, to tell the, the, the poor and the, the underprivileged that they have so much concern is to, you know, say that maybe the cops are really the problem. Maybe the cops are the bad guys. This has very negative consequences for society, my friends. This this makes things worse for all of us. And I, I hope the Democrats pay a price for this in this election, because otherwise they'll view this as something that they can go back to again. Otherwise, their opinion on all this will be that it was politically a potent tool for them, mobilizing people on the streets. And uh, they've managed to create this completely absurd story about how it's on both sides, right? Trump won't denounce white supremacists or the Proud Boys as if, one, that's not true. And two, who was doing all the destruction in cities all summer? Wasn't Trump voters. It was Biden voters. We all know that. They all hate Trump. In fact, a lot of the anger, a lot of the rage in the streets, I would argue, was a direct consequence of Trump derangement syndrome. So we'll have to see what the referendum looks like in this election on all those activities, whether it even weighs in. But I'll tell you this. I think that the riots and law and order are going to matter a lot more than Hunter Biden's laptop. That I do think, and I, I wish there was greater focus on it. And last night's uh, mayhem in Philadelphia is certainly an opening to revisit this conversation and force the Democrats to explain why do they always have sympathy and a soft spot for this kind of abhorrent behavior? Why are they always making it sound like it was mostly peaceful, a heated protest? No, this was a this was a justified police shooting that people decided to. Uh, take it upon themselves to protest by breaking the law and hurting people, hurting innocent people. That's immoral. There's no way around this. There's no there's no explanation of this that they can come up with that will change that fact. What people did last night in Philadelphia is immoral as well as illegal. By breaking private property and attacking law enforcement officers and committing arson, this cannot be justified and it actually has to be confronted. And the only political party in the country right now that's willing to do that is the Republicans, as imperfect as they are. And, you know, Donald Trump sometimes can be a blunt instrument on this issue. And I get that. But at least he's fighting for the right team, which is all of us of every color, of every creed, of every race and, and ethnic origin, everything else. All of us being able to live peaceably in society and not have to worry about some craziness like this. 
and not have to worry about what happens when the police no longer feel like they're allowed to do their job. It's not just the looting and the rioting. You have to remember, it's the it's the secondary effects around all of that. Of a community that now feels like. Are, are we next? Of law enforcement officers who have to ask the question, what if I have to use my weapon? Is there going to be a riot? Is the expectation now that I have to be stabbed in the neck first before I can use my gun? Because if that's the case, maybe I don't want to be a cop anymore. Or just the police officer that sees something that he or she knows is not right for their beat, not right in in their area. Something's going on and they say, I don't want to go walk down that that dark alley and see what's happening down there because it's just trouble for me. Too bad if something bad's happening to somebody, but I, I, I got I got to get to that pension and I got a family to feed. That's what's happening in cities across the country. And it is happening because of Democrats, because of people like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who on law enforcement issues are frauds and cowards. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The federal approach allows the virus to spread uncontrolled, right? They don't believe they can control it, so they don't try. They're actually reducing testing, which is the key to getting the information you actually need to control it. Why do you reduce testing? See no COVID, hear no COVID, speak no COVID. Um, well, see, Cuomo in New York, his approach was to reduce the human population here, but uh, by, by allowing COVID to spread into nursing homes. But now he thinks that he's in a position to lecture everybody else about how the federal government is failing so badly on this one. I, I keep returning to this because this is by far the most important issue in the country. And I think more and more people are waking up to the point of view that we can't wait out the bureaucrats. We're going to have to we're going to have to tell the lockdown chorus at some point. No, we're not. We're not going to we're not going to obey your stupid rules about masking up in between bites or put the mask on when we walk to the bathroom at the restaurant, but not when we sit down and eat. We're not going to you know, be masked up at the front door but not actually sitting down in the business, whatever it is. We're not going to do the thing where, oh, uh, I'm in an Uber or a taxi driver and I pull my mask up the second somebody gets in the car as if that's we're not going to keep doing this. Wearing masks outside. What? Why? We're going to have to say no, because they're not going to stop. You have to you have to understand this. Now, they're not going to stop. We're, we're heading into not only a winter of continued lockdowns, uh, but also the extension thereafter, even with the distribution of a vaccine, because even let's say the vaccine is 60 percent effective. The only risk tolerance that we're allowed to have now in our society for covid, according to the parameters that are de facto being set up by the Fauci's and the Cuomo's of the world. Now, I mean, Cuomo's, of course, just an, an, an atrocity on this issue, but the only parameter of, of acceptable risk here is zero. COVID has to be entirely eradicated or else you can't have a normal life. That's the expectation they're set up. Otherwise, what is it? When is Fauci? I ask you this. When do you think Fauci's going to stop saying you got to wear a mask? Not after. It's not when a vaccine comes on. No. Oh, you think when cases are low? No, that's not going to work because what if it'll come back? 
It's still out there, man. It's just waiting. So this is a fight that I know people, I know I'm tired of it too. I don't want to focus on this. I, I wish there were other things that we could spend our time on as a country that are, that are more productive, but we're in this terrible situation of this respiratory disease that spreads very easily. It spreads just like the common cold. And people like Cuomo saying we can control this, uh, th- they're delusional. They really can't. Focus protection may be possible because that would mean that you're using the limited resources that you have to make sure that you have the absolute minimum of viral spread to those at highest risk, understanding that there's going to be a lot of viral spread to those who are at lower risk, which is acceptable. This is a trade-off that adults can understand and make in life. But what they're saying is, no, let's, let's act like we can have prote- the same level of protection for everybody, which, of course, dilutes the measures, dilutes the message, and means that you're going to have more senior citizens, more people who are at greater risk who are going to get the disease because they're just a part of the overall pool of the spread instead of being in protected categories as we get a better handle on all this. They're also telling you that, that uh, there's a study that says that uh, immunity lasts for a shorter period than they thought. Of. Maybe it's only now, you know, two or three months or something like that. So vaccines won't work uh, in the way that we thought they would. That's Fauci today. Immunity won't last. COVID's coming back. And what do they have for you as an answer? Do what we say. Wear a mask. Do what we say. Wear a mask. That's it. And, oh, and social distance, which is just a fancy way of saying avoid human beings. Avoid human beings. That's that's their pandemic response policy when you when you really boil it down. Is that the future you want? Is that the country you want to live in? I I know it's not for me. And I know that my tolerance for this has gone to zero. Let's just hope that enough people understand what the stakes are in this election and don't put the lockdown left in charge. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Roll call. Hit it. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Email us at teambuck at iheartmedia.com. If you want to be in Roll Call, you could send us a message on the Instagram, Buck Sexton, or I think the most common approach, the still number one favorite of the team, uh, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is how we do it. This is how we do it. That was a good song. All right. So... Where are we? Oh, I, I watched. So I've got the Dracula podcast coming out later this week. I was doing more work on it last night. So it's happening. And I decided over the weekend to watch the uh, Dracula Untold movie because I remember hearing that it, it tried to take some of the actual historical Dracula stuff and work it in. It does that for about the first 10 minutes. And then it just turns into this unwatchable mess with CGI bats, like huge swarms of CGI computer generated imagery bats everywhere. And I I just I honestly want to sit down with whoever made this movie 
because they had they had this cool idea of no take the real which i'm going to tell you about on the podcast take the real historical dracula the fight against the ottoman empire and uh, you know the origin story where he was raised in the ottoman court and i'll get to all this it's, a, it's an incredible story take some of those elements and make it a little bit of a supernatural dracula thing but also work in this other stuff and the execution was just so poor CGI uh, overuse of CGI or bad use of CGI, I think, is the fastest way to ruin what could otherwise be a good movie. And that you come across this a, a lot, uh, especially you, I feel do you like you want in them the, to use real bats. No, I just want them to use fewer bats and actually write dialogue and have a story. All it's right, just like fair. watching. It's just like watching computer generated imagery. Bats fly all over a screen for like an hour and 15 minutes. It's crazy. He's the bats fly him around. He uses the bats to attack people. It's just you're just watching this. It's like you're watching this swarm of bats. They spent real. This movie cost tens of millions of dollars to make. Anyway, it was so bad. So bad. Very frustrating. But Barbarians is good. Barbarians, I recommend, uh, as I've said to you on Netflix. But you got to read the subtitles. Producer Mark does not like the subtitles. You know, Mark, I know people who want English, I guess that's called closed captioning, right? Not subtitles, technically, who want, you know, the the well, I think it's subtitles, whatever. They want the English writing at the bottom just because they like that in case they miss something in the dialogue. I mean, OK, to each what their do you own think about that. Uh, I mean, All right, OK. Oh, oh, OK. I thought you were going to fight on that, but you what, did not. why would I fight? Any, everyone can do whatever they want. I'm not going to judge anyone. I don't know. Whatever. And if was, those are very Sorry. good for, you know, my father uh, is hard of hearing, so I've had to watch television with that quite a lot, actually. Well, that obviously makes sense. Yes. That's why they have it. But I'm saying some people that have, you know, their hearing is not an issue at all. They just prefer to watch it that way. I probably should have done that with Peaky Blinders because they were technically speaking English and it was in England. But sometimes it's a lot of, you know, you're like, wait, what? What is this? This, this, uh. This Birmingham accent they've got going on. Birmingham, England, obviously but not Alabama. If you're reading, don't you what? miss what's happening on the screen? No, see, I think you I think you get used to it because I don't know. I think you get used to it. Huh? Two of my favorite two of my favorite uh for well well, they're obviously they're foreign language movies, but I, I think there are two great German language movies uh that I highly recommend to people, even if they're not into foreign language films. There's The Lives of Others, which if you have not seen, you absolutely should see. And no, not you, Mark. I don't think you'd like it. Uh, and a movie called uh, Downfall about Hitler in the bunker in the last days, just because Hitler looking like Hitler and screaming in German way scarier than some guy with like a pseudo English accent who's like, oh, like I'm like the worst, most evil person. It's like when he's yelling it in the German, it's scary sounding. Just saying, Do you know, oh, that's the scene, Mark. You know this, though, because they did a really famous Hitler starts pounding the table and yelling at all of his generals and people change the subtitles at the bottom. They did a great one for the Giants, the, you know, the New York football Giants a few years ago. Sure. Do you know what I'm talking about? This was uh, like a kind of a meme thing for a while. I've probably seen it. You know, I don't, yeah. know, I don't recall it. It, it, went, it went very viral. It went very viral. But, you know, it's, it's, it's from the movie Downfall when Hitler finds out that he's surrounded and there's no chance of, of a victory against the Allies. And he's pounding the table and totally freaking out. And they change it. So it's like, you know, what did Coughlin go for on fourth and one? You know, they do that kind of stuff. So that happened. Um, all right. Anyway, watch Barbarians. Don't watch Dracula Untold. It's total trash. I made the Snow Princess watch it. She's not 
she did not enjoy it. So I had to then watch a uh, as as penance. I had to watch one of these like makeover shows where they do like the whole like you and the new house and the whole thing. Yeah. You don't what like uh, home and garden what television? Um, no, it was, uh, uh, I forget, I forget, I forget what it was called. Anyway, I had to watch one of those. All right, let's get to it. Anna, she's our first up here in roll call. I just wanted to say that because of this show, my listening and my mother overhearing my 74 year old, formerly very Democrat mother has voted for Trump. I am so proud of her and thankful to have this program to listen to. The show is clear, factual, intelligent, interesting, and entertaining. Thank you. Well, Anna, thank you. That's great. That's high praise for uh, the Buck Sexton Show. We really appreciate it. And tell your mom welcome to the team. We're, we're glad and, and honored to have her. And we, uh, we think she absolutely made the right choice, both in listening here and voting for Donald Trump this time around. I love that's one of my favorite things when I get libs who say I listen to your show and, and now I one, one thing that I tell people is I like I like people to think of this show. Yeah, entertaining. I try to have fun and bring up your speed on all the news stories and everything else. But also I like to always have a real a real connection to reality. Like I want this show to be based in reality as much as possible, not be some some uh, narrative that just is meant to appeal to the widest possible listenership with no with no underlying uh, connective tissue to what really matters and what's really going on. There's a lot of stuff that I think comes up in the media that are just distractions and, you know, people just, I'll never forget. So so here's an example of what I'm talking about. Greta Van Susteren, I remember being, uh, you know, I don't remember. When did Natalie Holloway disappear? Do you remember, Mark, like roughly? You were like five, but it was a long time ago. I remember Greta Van Susteren on her Fox News show, uh, I remember it, it was it felt like she had Nat- the main story every night was Natalie Holloway for like six months or something. And I just remember even at a young age thinking, we really got to watch this every night. I mean, that's this is the most important thing in the world. I mean, it's sad. This girl obviously was murdered and disappeared in Aruba. It was it was also aside from the tragedy of losing this this young girl. It's terrible for the island. I've actually been to Aruba. It's a really nice place. Great people. And they had a tourism drop off because people thought they weren't safe. It's like one of the safest places in the world. But anyway, my point being that Greta Van Susteren, it was working in the ratings and every night, every night, Natalie Holloway stuff. And I was like, what? Really? When did that here? I, I got 2005. Um, yep. Right after I was right after I graduated college. That's right about I just remember watching Fox and it, it felt like that. So that's what I mean by. You know, I, I try to focus on what I, on what matters and not just what rates. There's a lot of what rates in media, even when it's just kind of feeding into people's either anxieties or fears that are exaggerated about something. Or yeah, I mean, CNN does this constantly. With uh, remember when CNN? I mean, they covered the missing plane. I, I mean, you know, the the missing plane story was months. Months it was the uh, what was it not MH17 was the one I think shot down over Ukraine by the Russian missile. This was whatever the Malaysian Airlines flight was uh, that disappeared, you know, flying in in uh, Southeast Asia. Never found, never found the wreckage of it. Um, they they covered that story for months, and I just felt like it's interesting and yeah, it's a tragedy. 
But three months into it, there are other things happening in the world that people do need to know about, I think, with greater urgency than that. But that's just me. All right. Back to uh, roll call. Robin. Aloha, Buck and producer Mark. I heard the soundbite with Hillary talking about women leadership and covid response and had to laugh. A few months ago, I was talking to my husband regarding this very subject, saying this whole covid situation is an indictment on women leadership as they have done everything wrong keeping the cities closed, allowing Antifa and BLM protesters to take over the streets, looting, burning and destroying businesses and uh, lecturing tax paying citizens on behavior when they themselves have been almost all caught out enjoying themselves. Hypocrites, one and all. Hillary's the last person anyone needs to hear from claiming she would be a good president. She can keep dreaming. I love the show. Listen to the podcast app on my way home from uh, from work on the Big Island. That's great, uh, Robin. I've been to the Big Island twice. I know I've been taking I've been I've been a little upset with about Hawaii just because of Maisie Hirono, but I know we can't blame all Hawaiians for that. So I'm just being a little tongue in cheek there. Big Island's amazing. You ever you never you wait. Have you been to Hawaii, Mark? We talked about this. I have not. No. Oh, you and Mrs. Mark got to go. I, I will say producer Mark will come back from Hawaii with two thumbs, two thumbs way up for sure. I'm sure we, we wanted to go for our honeymoon, but, you know, safe. it's expensive. It's very it's pricey and it's a long flight too. you know, from California. It feels like a much easier jump from New York. You're on that plane a long. It's like a 10 hour flight. It's a long time, Uh, but it is it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, Big fan of it. The only problem is macadamia nuts. You eat three macadamia nuts and you need new you need like a new size up in pants there. Those are little fat bombs, believe it or not. And once they start covering them in chocolate, bad things happen. Producer Mark Brad. Dear Buck and Mark, how absolutely awesome is it that Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed to the Supreme Court? I got a chance to watch the Senate vote on her confirmation. I couldn't believe how immature and childish the Democrat senators looked when they gave ACB a thumbs down. I thought I was watching little kids having a tantrum on the playground. Oh, and Mark, don't bother going to Italy for their pizza. I was stationed in Italy for four years and true Italian pizza is nothing to jump up and down about. Trust me, you are living in the absolute best place to get fantastic pizza. Love the show. Thanks for all you do. Well, Brad, thank you so much, man. Uh, see, Mark, this is what you're being told. If you like very cheesy pizza with, like, the grease and the sort of stretchy doughiness, that's the more New York-style pizza. I, I, having been to Italy a few times, it's very different over there. It's almost like focaccia with a little bit of... Uh, like mozzarella, like uh, sprinkled on top and melted. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm sure they're both good for what they are. Yeah, of course. But I'm just saying, if you're used to the new, like if you're used to the New York style greasy slice with the dripping off cheese and everything, that's a, that I did not come across that in Italy. That's not the way they do things there. Very different. I'll go and judge for myself right. one day. There you go. Eric, Buck, they're doing all they can to ramp up the COVID numbers before the election. My daughter, who attends the University of Georgia, said they're giving away free T-shirts and Starbucks gifts cards to students that get tested. I mean, Eric, you know, you've got two two college students out of 12 million have died from COVID. Two out of 12 million. Um, w- what else really needs to be said? W- why are we testing college kids so much all the time? What's the what's the difference? What point does it serve? Other than, yeah, it, it does drive up the numbers of, of overall tests across the country. So I think that's very uh, uh, it's, it's troublesome, man. But the good news is for college students, at least um, they're not at any real risk. 
so they don't have to worry. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call. Steven, hey, Buck, if you recall in the movie, Uncle Buck brought the family together and fixed the dysfunction that existed on all fronts of the children's relationships with their parents, teachers, friends. In the end, Buck walked out the hero. Sort of a message that's geared toward reminding us we should not judge the surface branding of what is presented by someone who is seemingly irresponsible or perceived as lazy, disconnected, obnoxious, etc. when it comes to functioning in society relationships because that person may unexpectedly become the most grounded and genuine and most influential person in the room. Stephen, very well put. I will tell you, I do not remember. All I remember is the big trash pancake. I don't really remember the movie at all. I saw it once. I think I was 10 or something. So, and I just know since then, I was like, oh, John Candy, Uncle Buck. But I am an uncle. I've not yet seen my nephew, but I'm looking forward to uh, getting to uh, hold that little bundle of joy. And first chance I get, I'll just get to tell him, hey, buddy, you're going to be a Republican. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until he says his first words, maybe. I don't know. I mean, could I play some Reagan speeches over a little, uh, you know, play school speaker system or whatever next to the crib? Probably. Would it be bad? Would it be bad for young Ryan to hear from Dutch while he's, uh, you know, having his first few weeks on this earth? I don't I don't think so. I mean, it's certainly inspiring stuff. So we'll see. But I know I know brainwashing is what libs do. We won't we won't do that. He'll, he'll be a, he'll be a free market conservative. Because he understands the way the world works. Because we'll teach him. Don, Buck and Mark, what is the name of the historical novel that you recommended about the battle or war between the Greeks and Persians that you mentioned on your podcast recently? I would like to read it. Don, it is Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressman. And it's I'm not a I'm not a historical novel guy, really. I just not not a genre. I really do. It's so good. I don't know what else to tell you. It's uh, so well done. Um, probably one of the most, I mean, one of the 10 most fun to read novels, I think, of all time for me. For novels, I, I think I'd put it in that category. So, yep. Janine. Hey, Buck. I'm a former New York City public high school history teacher. I mainly taught global history, so I was super excited to hear about your history podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. If you're wondering, I'm a New York refugee now living in the great state of North Carolina, voting for the Trumpster, of course. Anyway, love your impressions, especially Hillary. Hello! And the Fouch. Keep up the great work. Shields high. Janine. Janine, thank you so much. Yeah, we got a Dracula podcast coming. We'll get some Malta podcast going. Get some other good stuff. I think after I, I finish this kind of renaissance uh Cross versus Crescent Muslim Christian warfare podcast. Uh, then I think I'll probably go into uh, either ancient Greece or ancient Rome stuff. And that period, that's where I think I'm probably heading next. So it'll be fun. It'll be good stuff. I think uh, Hannibal, I mean, the P- a Punic Wars podcast would be super cool. This is what I like to get. This is what I like to nerd out to. That's the show for today, team. Pass the buck. Get someone to listen this week as this election fevers all around us. Shields high.